This episode of the Post-Christianity Podcast is sponsored by The Good Book Company, publisher of Future Proof by Stephen McAlpine. Stephen McAlpine is an Australian writer and speaker who specializes in cultural engagement and the church. In his new book, Future Proof, coming February 2024, Stephen encourages readers that we have been given everything we need in Christ to thrive in a post-Christian cultural landscape. Visit thegoodbook.com slash postpodcast to find this book and other resources that will help you engage with the culture in a thoughtful and biblical way. And use code POST at checkout to receive 25% off. That's thegoodbook.com slash postpodcast. You realize this is not a relativist culture at all. And so although at the heart of Western culture at the moment, there is still a post-truth problem, Mm. which is we are affirming Christian things based on premises that don't support them at all because they're materialist in nature. Nevertheless, the, the, the tenor of our culture is still one that believes certain things are absolutely are true and you must live by them. And if you don't, you will, you are a heretic. You, and language like that might even be used. Yeah. Um, yeah. That you do need to repent. You do need to be awakened. And all these sorts of, it's, right. it's very right. religious language, as many have pointed out. Hello and welcome to Post-Christianity. My name is Glenn Scrivener. And I'm Andrew Wilson. And together we're thinking about our cultural moment in historical perspective and thinking about the ways in which our culture is Christian and post-Christian and maybe even pre-Christian. We'll see if we get there later in the episode. Uh, Let me read a quote to you. Uh, This will be familiar to uh, a lot of people. And if you're in the United States, maybe you have seen this driving around. It's a yard sign. And it says, in this house, we believe black lives matter. Women's rights are human rights. No human is illegal. Science is real. Love is love. Kindness is everything. And uh, it's an incredibly faith-filled statement, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, it's creedal. Literally creedal. As in, in yeah. this house, we believe. Come, this is obviously a, a creed of its own. Yeah. Yes. And in a sense, this whole podcast is kind of an answer to this question. But... In in terms of, but can <laughs> explain you explain where that comes in forty five seconds? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So things like I mean, kindness is everything. Mm. Let's take that one. Yeah, kindness is king. Hashtag be kind. Yeah. Um, it's often noted that um, some of the most censorious, <laughs> yes, the people most likely people. to use the hashtag are the people most likely some to want to read it. Cruelest people <laughs> use the hashtag be kind, and I think that's interesting as a, a symbol of how Christianized we've become. Not that those virtues have necessarily like embedded themselves in our hearts, but they are certainly the slogans that we can use yeah. that will gain instant assent. We ought to be kind, oughtn't we? Yeah. And yet, I guess for an ancient person, that's up for debate, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I think there's a, a lot of ancient people, as we'll probably touch on in other episodes, would have completely rejected a whole bunch of those things. The idea that compassion or humility or things like that of virtues would be, you know, not just, oh, up for debate. It'd be like, it's not up for debate. It clearly is not a virtue. Yes. Kindness, probably a little more. Um, but the centrality of something like love in the in the way it, it plays the role in the biblical story and the fruit of the spirit, kindness, goodness, yes. being long-suffering, the first one being love self-control those sorts of things in many ways the only ones that you would have assumed would be on the list of a fruit yes. of the spirit for an, a, an ancient pagan would be something like yeah. self-control temperance and then, yes. yeah they'd mean yes. something quite different from what paul meant by it yes so yeah it, it's um it's remarkable how those things are almost they're conversation stoppers now yes 
but very, very contingent on the influence that Christianity's had. And that's a really interesting comparison. So, um, so the four Stoic virtues, which yeah. sort of Aristotle would have taught as well as as well as Plato in terms of wisdom, justice, courage, and temperance. Yeah would be those four which they belong really in the military barracks you can you can think yeah. of that on uh on a poster telling the soldiers to to be more um virile because yes. the word virtue is taken from the latin word yeah. for vir man right yeah. it's it's manliness it's it's quite militaristic um whereas you just quoted the the fruit of the spirit mm. and Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This sounds like it's, it belongs in the family home. Yes. We've gone from the, the military barracks to the, the, the family home. And Larry Hurtado does a great job in lots of books, including uh, the, the Destroyer of the Gods, of showing how love was right at the heart of the early church's ethic. And that was, that was blowing people away yeah. in, in, in the centrality that, that love has had. Now it's just a Beatles song. Mm. And now it's just, you know, love, love, love. Yeah. Is is everywhere? So yeah. how <laughs> how have we gone from there to there? <laughs> What's yeah, it's a it's a beautiful irony because of course the Beatles were the ones who said, well, you know, we're bigger than Jesus now. But actually, of right. course, the songs they sang. Right. So they, they're often seen, at least in the context of the early sixties. I think people in the early 60s complaining about the Beatles would not have enjoyed returning in 2022 or 2023. <laughs> but at the time, they were seen as the sort of almost anti-Christian, certainly in North America, mm-hmm. um, by the church. But actually, they, they are just the most obvious poster boys for how embedded Christian ideals have become, that you could sing, love, 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 love is all you need. And everyone would go, well, obviously, that, that's a yes. you know, the summer of love, all that stuff. Now, obviously, they're putting new meaning into it. But the idea that that value was not up for debate, and you could say it as a as a truism and everyone would accept it, um, yeah, it goes right back to Paul and probably, and before, you know, even just, mm-hmm. even back to the, you know, the love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself being the summary of the law. Um, so very, very old and Judeo-Christian ideas that have just become normalized to the point that people don't think they're making a theological statement at all. They're simply stating the obvious. But as you say, if you read Homer, you don't get that impression at all. Achilles is not pacing around after Patroclus, you know, and just sort of thinking, oh, yeah, well, this is, you know, love is all you need. I should just basically forgive my enemies. That, that's not the dynamic of the, and the story would collapse if yes. that was what the Odyssey was about or yes. the Aeneid. You know, it's just not the way they work. So it is a, a powerful testimony. How that happened, of course, we're going to say in a large part is due to the uh, the influence of Christianity in all sorts of ways. And we could talk a bit more some of the specifics. Um but yeah, over time, more and more explicitly Christian virtues seep into the culture to the point that those virtues get eventually become reasons to object to Christianity, right. which is where we are now. And that's what's fascinating, that when people complain about Christianity now, they don't complain for the same reasons as they did in the ancient world. In the ancient world, it was this is insufficiently virile. This is for stupid people. This yes. is for women and slaves is how they would... The, right, you know, Celsus, Celsus would say, yeah, you know, yeah, this, yeah. that's what the reason Christianity is obviously for fools is yes. look at all these women and slaves who come. Whereas now yes. you'd say, even though it's far, it, it's it dramatically more inclusive of, um, you know, you might say women and formerly enslaved people than the ancient view. Now people would attack it for for being oppressive against women and slaves rather than too right. inclusive of them. And so it's a fascinating transition, and the reasons why people object to Christianity now are themselves Christian reasons. Right. Because love is all you need, and love has only been slightly tweaked in order to mean you just you need to accept everything everyone does, and effectively the critique of Christianity is a Christian one. It, yes. Which is a weird... 
Wow, we're we're all throwing Bible verses at each other. We've just forgotten the references. Yeah, and that's 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 the sort of this is the house that Jesus built. You know, the, the house this house that believes these things yeah. is inconceivable without the house that Jesus built. Yes. So going back to Celsus, his great critique of Christians, so writing in the second century, um, was that it was a religion for women, slaves, and 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 uh, children. Um, He's, he identified the chief error of both Jews and Christians was that it was insufficiently, it was, it, it was far too uh, anthropocentric, far mm. too man-centered. You know, it is not obvious that the gods would put their affections on yeah. man over and above all the celestial bodies and all the other gods. And, and um, why, why is humanity so front and center? That in Judaism, man would be in God's image, mm. and in Christianity, God would become man. This is this yeah. is a disgustingly humanistic yes. kind of religion, and and that's what struck um, the ancient world is yes. how humanistic. And again, you know, nowadays we we think, oh, humanism yeah. is like the enemy of Christianity. Yeah. Is, yeah. Is, is is the alternative? I think a Celsus might see things a bit more clearly. Yeah, that actually, again, humanism is utterly. Inconceivable with without the Jesus revolution, hmm. because a god takes flesh, and there's right. no higher way of validating a god, the god. Yes, <laughs> but from a pagan's perspective, your yep. god has yep. taken flesh and has given the the biggest possible validation tick to yes. human nature and flesh and right. matter and you know physical stuff, as we touched on in the previous episode. But not just physical stuff, but the form of humanity and uh, the, the idea of being a creature with an upright spine and opposable thumbs and a large cranium all that that's just been given the biggest sign off you could possibly be given by god yes um by both but we've made god has made man in his image but also god has then taken on that image and and yeah. and in a sense that then the values that flow from it the love your neighbor as yourself is yeah. you don't just love your neighbor for for because because God tells you to, you love your neighbour because they themselves have a dignity and a value that wouldn't be seen as belonging to human beings in another belief system, yes. and that in part is just because God Himself has has taken fashion and said, you know, with as James says, you know, with our with our mouth we praise our God and Father, and then we curse humans who are made in God's likeness, brothers. This shan't be, yes. and you think, yeah, that's because human beings bearing God's image is so radical that it now again taken for granted in yes. a sense even by people who don't believe in god that there is something uniquely dignified about a human being yes but that idea is is just the very very long after echoes of judeo-christianity becoming normalized in our culture yes and the um the stark um juxtaposition of a naturalistic account of the world that says you know man has descended from apes yes Therefore, we must love one another. Which yeah. who is the philosopher who's Vladimir Solovyov? I exactly how to pronounce it. I don't know, but that, that yeah. and it's just a remarkable. You know, the non sequitur at the heart of the West is basically yes. you believe man is descended from apes, therefore love one another. You think yes. that conclusion clearly doesn't follow from yes. that premise. Yes, um, but it's but they're also e fervently held, and of course the, yes. the reason why they can both be held at the same time is because Christianity gives us this belief. And has but just gradually been eroded from the discourse, but it's yes. so widely assumed. Yes, you can continue to function as if everyone knows it. Yes, even yes. though you don't actually have the rational foundations for it anymore. Yeah. So I, in in the seven values that I explore in the air we breathe, you know, e equality. You know, no human being is the inferior of any other, no matter what their race, religion, sexuality is. Uh, we are all equal. 
we all believe that, compassion, um, that a society is best that treats its weakest members uh, the best, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's how it should be judged. We all take that for granted. Consent, elite males do not have the right to access yeah. others. Um, consent must be central to, to sexual relationships. Enlightenment, um, education is a good, and we must further our ends by persuasion and not by force. Science, we believe that science can be done and that it is yeah. good to be done. Um, freedom, no human is the property of another yeah. human. And and progress, you know, uh, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Yeah. But I often do with, with people, like, like that sounds like humanism, doesn't yeah. it? Like those, those, those beliefs sound like humanism. And people just sort of say, well, look, we don't need Christianity for that. We, mm. We've got secular humanism. And I yeah. always want to pull apart those two words. Well, the secular, the, the non-religious view is that uh, we are the product of blind evolutionary forces and we're all equal to one another. You know, we, we, you know it, it, it is a brutal um, you know, survival of the fittest yeah. and we should be kind to one another. You and me, baby, we ain't nothing but mammals. Yeah. So let's honor one another's sexual boundaries at all times. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and you think secular humanist pick one and I've got two arguments at, at that stage. One is historically that great humanism that you believe in did not come from here historically. Yeah. But then the more philosophical argument is, and that great humanism could, could not, could not have. come, yeah, can't be come, by. come yeah. from there. And I think Christian Smith does a great job on atheist overreach yeah. on the could not. And I think someone like a Tom Holland does a great job on the historical did not. Yes. But I think we really need to be pulling apart secular and humanism yeah. in people's minds. Yeah. I mean, what again, I, sorry to always try and bring it back to 1776, but I think I, mm. I figure who is is probably well known um at least an outline but pe- very few people have read partly because his writings are just so horribly offensive is the marquis de sade and wow. he is yeah. an extraordinary um you know he'd be well known sadism sadist you know so we know that he's obviously a very, very bad man. Um, you know, financially incontinent, one incontinent grotesquely yeah. fat. Yeah. You know, flogs widows and pours hot wax into their wounds, and has a se- sort of sexual turn on, and, he, and you know, rapes multiple people, starts a relationship with a teen, you know, a teenage child when he's seventy. I mean, he's just a, a vile, vile man who obviously talked about the need for. You know, for you know how it celebrated the role of of pain and violence and uh, you know what we now call sadism and cruelty, um, and celebrated it. But it's fascinating because there is a strong theological or anti-theological underpinning to his yeah. project, which is essentially. If you don't believe, he's so angry, he hates the Christian God so much that he wants to get rid of not just the Christian God, but the Christian morality that flows from it. And you could say, well, the man's a loon, and of course, in many ways, he, he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and a very odious one. But actually what he's doing is quite intellectually consistent because what he's saying is that if you get rid of God, the alternative God you have to hold up is nature. And if you look at nature and how nature functions, it is characterized by you know, the strong eating the weak and the, the survival of the most... When you say the survival of the fittest, that's to make it sound like a gym rat. It's actually the survival of the most... If, the violent, Adaptable. Yeah, or well, the most yeah. efficaciously violent or the one... Right, you see yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it, it, yeah. That's Forceful, how... Yeah. And in a sense, we're here because somewhere in the distant past, our ancestors survived... In a in a fight for resources with other people's ancestors, and that's and, and if, obviously if you're a thoroughgoing evolutionist, you go back into other animal species. The same is true. And so Sard is it, as much as it's, it's just honestly is literally diabolical to read, mm-hmm. and I haven't I've deliberately avoided reading too much for my soul, mm-hmm. but read enough to see that the the moral consistency, strangely, in a horrible way, of what he's doing, which is to say, if you get rid of 
the Christian God, the only other way of making of effectively establishing morality would be just to look at nature, the way the world actually is, and you would end up okay. You might end up with the Homer version we were, we were mentioning, or you might end up with a more vigorously violent and unpleasant one. But in the end, your moral framework would have to be formed by the way that the world truly is, rather than the, the, in, right. in, in right. nature, red and tooth and claw, rather than by the Christian values we've inherited. Nietzsche does the same 100 years later. And I think that in some ways they they are making the point that the, this could not have come from, not just that yeah. this did not come from Christianity. It couldn't have. Mm. Because where what other foundation do you have other than the way the world actually is? Mm. to establish a moral framework so as as much as i don't recommend anyone read Sard, i think he is making a compelling version of the argument you're making yes. from the opposite side yes some would come back and they would say oh what was that very um popular book non-zero um saying that you know ev- evolution involves cooperation yeah and they would make certain certain arguments about you know we, we could only get so far if we did not cooperate families clans tribes um I think the pushback on that, and Christian Smith does a good job on, on this, is is to say, yes, they cooperate. They cooperate in order to compete. Yes. And that is the driver. You need the differential between two different species in order for the for the one yeah. to have the advantage and for that advantage. Yes, you're not to be benevolent towards all human beings. You're benevolent <laughs> to the human yeah, yeah, beings yeah. with whom you are yeah. collaborating in order right. to establish some degree of tribal advantage over right. and against other human beings. Right. Right. Which may or may not be right, but that's yep. you're, but you're not yep. it's not sort of UN, you know, yeah. humanitarian intervention type th- right. that that does right. that does not grow right. in sort of right. evolutionary soil. It's grown in right. Christian yeah. soil and then been transposed into an evolutionary narrative. Yeah, I often uh, tell the story of the, the Good Samaritan and imagine different tellings of it. Whether I'm a, a kind of a uh, if, if it was an Aesop's fable, for instance, you know, once upon a time there was a guy who was out late at night where he shouldn't have been. He got beaten up, idiot. Yes. Don't be like that guy. <laughs> that, that's like that's all the Aesop's fables. It's, it's kind of know your place, live wisely within your limits. Don't get ahead of yourself. That's that's kind of Aesop's fable, and and that's kind of Greco-Roman wisdom. And, and I think the Stoics at the best are, are kind of um, in a different era, but they, they are kind of living living wisely within their yes. means, and um, you know, don't don't be an idiot about it, but you know, keep to yourself. And then you know, Jesus tells the actual story in which. He gets beaten up, and then the priest and the Levite walk on by. And I, and I think there is a certain tranche of uh, Old Testament believer who thinks, well, no harm, no foul. Yeah. Right? They, they were sticking to their Levitic, Levitical laws. He's not um, in the ditch because of me. Is that, yeah. So, so how, how is he on me? And how do I know if I'm intervening in this situation? Am I intervening against what God wants? Maybe, maybe you know, on a classical understanding, the gods want him there. Maybe the village wants him there. Who am I to— Inshallah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, so a very um, a Muslim understanding absolutely would walk on by, and not only would they walk on by, they would not know what was wrong with walking on by. Mm. And now we all know what's wrong with walking on by because the Good Samaritan has so thoroughly shaped us. Because yeah. here is an intervention, and it's taking nature, and it's doing something about nature. It's a supernatural thing, isn't it, for the Good Samaritan to come and raise up. The, the man, you know, a certain man, you know, Adam, let's say, you know, so, but to raise up Adam from his natural state and to save him and heal him in this way is a real interventionist, supernatural kind of value. And yet we all take it for granted nowadays, you know, to the point where I, I gave a um, sermon on this last year in Cardiff and a friend drove me to the church 
And I began the sermon by saying, on the way to church, um, we passed underneath this underpass, and I looked up, and there was a guy in great distress, and he had one leg on one side of the barrier and another leg on the wow. other side of the barrier, and it looked like he was going to jump. And we drove on. You could have heard a pin drop. <laughs> it was just like, you did what? You drove on? So it's, well, there was an ambulance member up there. There were two police guys yeah, there. Like yeah. the Good Samaritan had already shown up. Yeah. But we now, wow. we rely, yeah, exactly. Like you walked on by, how yeah. could you? And yet that kind of, it's a supernatural value we now have that we've inherited from the Jesus revolution that we now sort of take for granted. And we can't even think ourselves into the sandal of the priest or the Levite. Yeah. Or any priest or Levite yeah. affirming person. Yeah. Like, how could you? Or at best, we might say, I have been the priest or the Levite, but I realize I shouldn't have and I felt bad about it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I would confess that in that, in, in, yes. in the Augustinian sense and, and, and be in touch with that internal struggle that I, that I have. And, and, yeah. um, and, and so we just live in a thoroughly different world. And we're, we've, we've been shaped by this Good Samaritan. And some people nowadays... Um, I guess on the right of politics would say, well, personal charity can do the job of, of you know, and the, the more libertarians would say, okay, individual charity can take care of the, the guy by the side of the road. And that's, that's our mm. good Samaritan. And some would say, well, welfare programs. And, but nobody walks on by anymore. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. utterly taken for yes, granted. Either the state's got to do it or an NGO's got to do it or you have, but yes, it has to be done. Yeah, yeah. To the point where the, bringing up the Marquis de Sade or Nietzsche, is really important, I think, at times, to, for just saying, well, why, why not? I mean, Nietzsche absolutely nailed that the cross was the transvaluation of all values, mm. in, in which, um, well, of course, it's, you know, in a world of survival of the fittest and the sacrifice of the weakest, um, the most egregious upending of what is natural would be the fittest sacrifice for we the weakest so that yeah. we the weakest might survive yeah. and not only survive but thrive and pass on the compassion, pa compassion revolution. Yeah. Um, he absolutely identifies what is at the heart of our culture, what is at the heart of our moral, moral presuppositions. Yeah. And it's interesting, when I've been in conversation with Tom Holland, the historian, you know, he, he speaks in those terms and, and he mentions about the Marquis de Sade, he mentions about Nietzsche. And, you know, I've said to me in, in the past, you know, it is, you, you sound like you're saying, Tom, it's either Christ or the pit, mm. right? It's Christ or this diabolical yeah. thing. Um, and, and he sort of has, has said, well, yes, but, you know, the path of, of Western culture has been to try to navigate a third way, to try to um, just be a good chap, you know, in the, in, in the midst of that stark choice. But I, th I think that middle ground kind of evaporates the more you look at it, and you, the, the more you look at the, the stark choice, because yeah. on what grounds are you going to do the compassion thing? Mm. Where, where is that foundation if it's not going to be Christ? I, I don't know where it is. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things I, I, one of the ways I like thinking to go back to our yard sign for a moment, I just that they're very, it's not just the, the things that are on the belief statements, mm. all of which are, of course, you know, grown out of Christian soil and, and in many ways taken at least as they stand. I know they would, uh, they would connote some things that I wouldn't agree with in terms of, you know, what public policy ought to be on a particular area. But, but when it comes to the statements as they are, as they stand, you'd say that all of those things are 
true and all of those things grow from Christian foundations. I know they're being used to often refer to other things, but as they stand, they're, they're true and they're Christian, but it's not just the, the statements themselves. It's the form of the statements. It's the fact that you know, in this house we believe. And <laughs> yeah. I know we joke about the idea of that being a, a secular creed, but you think even the, even the fact that you can do that, you say, I'm identifying myself by mm. affirmations I make, by things I believe. Right. And it is obviously modeled on the Nicene or the Apostles' Creed, but what defines me is a set of... It's, a, it's not just love. It's also faith. It's also yes. statement. I affirm this thing. I believe that. It's, you actually can't see my life necessarily and tell me any. My yard is in my yard. It's not in the next door neighbours. They might be a much nicer person than me. They must be might be yeah. much nicer to yeah. you know women or minorities or whoever than I am. But I believe these things. Yes. And obviously, social media is a, is a yes. has massively exacerbated that trend yeah. because what I say I believe is the only thing you can measure. You can't measure what I'm actually doing. And so again, that idea not just of the, the primacy of love, but the centrality of faith within yes. the context of a worldview is itself a, a very Christian thing and, and particularly a very Protestant thing. Mm. Um, I talk a bit in the book about the idea that we are, in the end, the West is made up of Protestant pagans yes. because we're people with very strong Protestant-like convictions um, that, is, that really takes its cue not just in, in substance but in form from Protestantism, yes. but mingled in with actually a pagan, more like Marquis de Sade vision of the way reality actually is. Right. And the, the fusion has made us, you know, very unstable, I guess, you know, morally and th- theologically. And I think we, there's plenty of scope to press into that with people as we discuss with them. You know, well, hang on, this, this part of you, you're, in a way, your vision of reality is very pagan. You only believe in one kind of reality rather than two. There is matter, there is not God and spirit, or at least that's what right. you say you believe. Right. right. But at the same time, you've got these these very transcendent moral absolute views, which are taken in the form of a creed, a, a high emphasis on faith, high emphasis on love, are drawn from grace rather than nature. But you've brought the two together yes. in a sort of slightly strange thing that I yeah I have learnt, come to call Protestant paganism as yes. a way of trying to capture how odd it is. Yes. And yet how widespread it is. Yes. And, and so what we have nowadays is sort of discernibly Christian-ish, but distorted yeah. in, in significant ways. So I often talk about, you know, equality um, in a biblical sense means we're all welcome at the same table. We all have a seat to share at the same, share in the same meal. Yeah. I think nowadays it has become a kind of an individualism where equality means we all are meant to be equally high up the same individual ladder. Yeah. Um, or compassion um, has kind of been detached from the Christian story and distorted a little bit to, to the point where instead of um, go and do likewise, be the good Samaritan, is uh, let's let's beat the guy by the side of the road and and, and competitive yeah. victimhood is a thing, you yeah. know. And then consent, you know, uh, Christianity injected consent right to the heart of the sexual relationship and and. Um, Praise God for that, but now it's it's almost as if there's nothing else now except consent in in the sexual realm. And then you you sort of weave those things back together again, and you've got individualism, you've got competitive victimhood, and you've got choice being the thing in the sexual realm. And so you know, doesn't that help to explain um, gender ideology and mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff? And and we might think that is incredibly anti-Christian. And I can see, yes, to follow through um, some of these arguments to their conclusions, you, you end up in a place that is diametrically opposed to Genesis chapter 1, and yet you can see how they got there. Yeah. They, you, be, because there is a place for the individual and there is a place for victims and minorities and protecting them, being compassionate towards them, is there not? Yeah. And it's a profoundly, it's a prof- profoundly Christianized argument. Yes. Even on, even on the other side of the I- ideological aisle to you, 
you're dealing with someone who has profoundly Christian-ish views. Yeah. And I think that's important to, to kind of be aware of. Yes, it absolutely is. Um, and and it's, it's fascinating the extent to which the, even the inconsistency of taking those values and using them as a means to attack what Christianity is yes. and purports to be is often not seen, partly because I think it's, it's Christianity, as we've said before, has, has been so successful at baking the ideas into Western culture that people don't think of them as Christian anymore. They think of them as self-evident, right? back to our, you know, the word from a, a couple of episodes back. But I think the, then the reality is that, that often what's happening is you are, whether in a, a private conversation or in the public square, you're engaging with debate with somebody who is using a Christian argument to object to your Christian belief. Right. Um, and I personally, that I, I see that as an opportunity rather than as a, a right. dis, you know, obviously it's strange, um, but the, its very strangeness is, is a, a yes. point in our favor in that yes. sense, because I think, well, I'd rather be arguing with that person than I would be with the Marquis Assad. <laughs> Because I think yes. he's got a, it's awful, yes. but there's a, there's a, a grim consistency to that view. Yes. And, or even with Nietzsche, who I just, who yes. was a brilliant opponent of Christianity because he knows exactly what Christianity right. is. Right. And he's understood it much better than a lot of modern critics of Christianity would. And he's seen how radically different from what he believes it is and is prepared to tackle it for what it is. And I'd rather be debating with someone who's effectively holding a Christian view and yes. hitting me over the head with it than I would with somebody who has consistently rejected everything that it stands for, because I just don't really yes. know where to start. Yes. So yes. I think that evangelistically, there is, there's a lot of opportunity. I'm, I'm, as a, a, Like you, a, a preacher, I spend a lot of time thinking, how do I help make Christianity comprehensible to a contemporary person? I think the amount of common ground you have because of the influence of this worldview in your society right. is is massive and it's just a great opportunity to be able to say i actually buy much of what you're doing when you're yes. yelling at me for this yes much of it i agree with the church yes. has done this this and this and that's bad yes. Yes. and i affirm it and i say yes. the only thing i'd add is the the critique you're making yes. is grown out of ultimately who jesus is is grown yes. out of the incarnation and the dignity right. of humanity it's grown out of the cross and the inversion of the powers of the world grown out of the resurrection and the hope of a new world it, it's Christian creedal in its shape, even yes. as the, the content has been filled with other, other things. Yes. So um, I'm quite a fan in, yeah. in that sense. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think even on some of the most hot-button issues imaginable, we've mentioned gender, let's, let's, let's mention abortion. Okay? Yeah. So here, here is something that, I mean, the, the, the early church absolutely you know, pioneered looking after the discarded infants, that were cast off, um, you know, the, the very first manual of midwifery in the first century, uh, chapter one of this manual of midwifery yeah. um, on how to discern the offspring that are worth raising. Because if not, then we know what happened yeah. to them and they would, they would put them on rubbish dumps or throw them down wells and that kind of thing. And Christians eventually started to collect them and the orphan care and all this kind of stuff. And so the pro-life instincts yeah. of Jews and Christians um, were always weird to the classical world. And, you know, Tacitus even remarks on this, this, there's this one Germanic tribe and they don't actually practice infanticide. Isn't that weird? Like, yeah. like that, that's what struck him. But then suddenly Jews and Christians are, have this incredible pro-life um, kind of mindset and practice and they back it up with you know costly womb to tomb kind yeah. of um care what's interesting nowadays because one of the objections to the thesis that we've become christianized is well we'll have a look have you seen how many abortions are happening mm. like a million a week mm. in the world have we really become so christianized and lamentably i think our christianization has has not 
changed our behaviors on this so much, but it has certainly changed our rhetoric and our justifications around it. Mm. Because on, on the pro-choice side, I just mentioned choice, right? Yeah. Okay, consent, right at, yeah. the, right at the heart of female autonomy, the bodily integrity of, 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 of women and the full equality of women. Um, abortion is healthcare. Mm. What a profoundly Christian yeah. thing, healthcare. And, and so even with something that I think is antithetical to biblical Christianity, yes. it cannot, it can't, can't get away. without can't Christian premises, yeah. Without being clothed in some yeah. kind of Christian, it's a very thin clothing and, and you can press beneath it. But, but then that tactic of, in those sorts of conversations, being able to say, I see you want to stand up for the weak and the marginalized, don't you? Mm. So do we, mm. you know? So on that pro-choice yeah. side, you know, you, you, like, what about the women? And you're like, absolutely, I affirm that. Let me stand with you shoulder to shoulder in your desire to look out for the little guy. But yeah. let's be honest, yeah. there was another little guy here. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think that's one example of how affirming and understanding the Christian-ish kind of values that people have really help you rhetorically to stand shoulder yes. to shoulder with them. Yes. To look at, and, and, and to look at a common enemy and then to look at your feet and say, now what are we standing on yeah. here? Yeah. And it's the thoroughly Christian thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. No, I, I, it's such a, it is, an, I think, an opportunity. It's not an easy one always to navigate because sometimes people are so, um, the, the, as I say, the norms are so baked in that people don't think of it as a problem. They, they, they take, take it as a given. So when you say that you've got that from Christianity, a lot of people's response at that point is, Meh. you know, or you, you have I've to never do a lot been of to church. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I've never yeah, yeah. been. To, well, they might exactly. They might deny it and say, yeah. I'm not Christian at all. Yeah. But if you were to start telling some of the story that we're telling in in these conversations, they even then might go, well, you know. A lot of people do. I don't, I don't really care. It doesn't matter where it comes from. Yeah. We've now moved beyond that. And the the analogy I, I've sometimes used is the is the idea that um, we are post Christian in the same sense that we are post industrial. Mm -hmm. So people talk sometimes about a post industrial area regeneration or something in a city. And in fact, you know, you may have been there. We were together in New York last week, and you had the, this sort of area here, which is almost like a post-industrial, the High Line, the, this sort of idea of like a, an urban garden, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And of course, post-industrial environments are post-industrial because they are able to to build on and benefit from the legacy of the Industrial Revolution and then say, because we've got all of this power and all of this metal and all of this machinery, we are able now to move beyond it and make certain lifestyle choices like installing a wood burner or going vegan. Or Because I'm not worried I'm going to run out of right. calories. I'm not worried I'm going to run out of heat. I'm not worried that there's going to be nowhere to live. Because I've got industrialization, I can move beyond it and dabble in other things. And I think that's how the modern world relates to Christianity. We are post-Christian in that sense. We say, I, because Christianity has done all this for me, I can now say, oh, I will, I will have some pagan spirituality. I'm going to get this kind of prayer wheel. I'm going to think about the, the spiritual in this way or in no way at all. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not worried that my morality will suddenly end up with the Marquis de Sades. Yes. Or... The, the the I think Game of Thrones is a good illustration of it, isn't it? Game right, of Thrones is right. kind of the way morality, what Lord of the Rings would look like if there was no Christianity in it. Yes. And you think, but I'm not worried that Western morality is suddenly going to turn up in Westeros right. or Assad or Nietzsche or the Roman Colosseum ripping people to pieces for public pleasure. Yes. And because I'm not worried about that, I feel like I can build on the legacy of Christianity and move on. Yes. And I think that means that people often don't, they don't initially see the problem. Yes. But I... 
of course, I do think there is a question. What would happen if the Christian capital ran out? Mm-hmm. Do, you know, is that a thing? We haven't, yeah. been, we haven't been in this post-Christian environment long enough to know what happens when it runs out or if it runs out. Yes. But I think sometimes showing people that heritage, I think it's apologetically compelling and intellectually persuasive. But some people will just go, I, I don't really care. Um, and I think that sometimes there, is, it, it, there can be hard work in almost... I know it's language you use a lot about joining the dots to help them see what it is about Christianity that they actually need to be able to sustain that. And yes. on what basis does this, this other, maybe fringe group in Western society, but they're going there. Yes. On what basis are you going to say that's wrong? And, and right. would it worry you if they did? You know, and you can see yep. Yep. flickers of that in the yep. last five years and even yeah. being yeah. a political movement in the West, which yeah. is yeah. unnerving enough. So yeah. that was a long comment, but I think is it... It's an obs- double observation that there is sometimes a challenge with showing people why it's a problem. Yep. But I think the effort still needs to be made because otherwise people will assume, like industrialization, oh, we're, we're, that's past. Now it's a new thing. I think no, yeah, you can right. only do that thing right. if you've still got this thing. So to say we're in a post-Christian moment does not mean that Christianity is, is entirely in the rearview mirror and we're in a different yeah. kind of unrelated moment because it's not unrelated at all. It's in, entirely continuous with the Jesus revolution that has you know got us to where we've gotten to. Um, so I, I was thinking yesterday about you know whether post rock was a was a, a an analogy. The the danger with this analogy is that nobody knows what post rock is. You have to explain to me what post rock is. <laughs> it's like this thing that you've never heard of. Um, <laughs> but you you probably have heard Sigur Ross or you've you've heard this may yes, destroy the planet you. Earth people. Yeah, and as soon as you hear it, you'll understand. Okay, it's a lot of guitars, and it's and there's drums, and there's and with Sigur Ross, there's kind of nonsense lyrics over the top, and they've broken down the verse, chorus, verse, chorus structure. Um, but it's rock, but it's post rock, and what I what I like about sort of thinking about post Christianity in in that sense is that um, post rock is a fad, actually, yeah. <laughs> right, right, and rock I think will be a lot more enduring than post rock has been i think post-rock is a kind of an offshoot of this bigger mm. more enduring thing and i think that's 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 what we've got with with christianity and and the other thing um you, t- you talked about sort of joining the dots i i often think in evangelism what we're trying to do is when we show people compassion when we show people that black lives matter women's rights are human rights no human is illegal science is real love is love kindness is everything um where we're showing them the imprint of the asteroid that has fallen, you know, in our in our world, and it's a very Jesusy imprint yeah. that they're kind of responding to. And when they see compassion enacted, and hopefully they see compassion enacted in us, yeah. so that we don't just talk a pro life game, but we, oh, what does it look like to actually look after the least, the last, and the lost in yeah. our communities, and and to live these embodied lives and they see compassion lived out and fleshed they're starting to see jesus in a in a in a really um in a really concrete sort of a sort of a sense and i think that becomes very attractive when the alternative is this house believes and it becomes Mm. a shouting match Mm. and i think post-christian society has become everything they accused christians of being Mm. this this very pharisaical Mm. Yes. Um, you know, without, without God, everything is not permitted. Without God, everything is very preachy all yeah. of a sudden. Yeah. And so it, I, I think there's a real opportunity as well to, to wean people off the pure dogma 
of yeah. I believe this, this is my virtue signal, to here is a Christ-like you know, way of life that's embodied, that's rich, that is, is compassion incarnate. Mm. And as soon as you start talking about compassion incarnate, you, yeah. you're on the way to Jesus. It's yeah. fascinating, isn't it? Because I think... I'm just processing this idea for the first time, but I think when I was at maybe at university, 20 years ago, university, young adult, whatever, starting to work, I still heard a lot of talk, whether or not it was actually the reality, I don't know, but a lot of talk as if relativism was the defining spirit of the age. Yeah. Actually, yeah. all beliefs are equally sure. And I think there was some of that, but I, I must admit that it, my encounters with, with friends, obviously many, um, almost all my friends at university were not Christians and, and in my first jobs that, that I thought, I don't think I encountered very much of that sort of relativism in anything mm. like a meaningful, I mean there'd be people who'd say oh I'm glad for you, but what they really mean is you carry on believing that if it works for you it doesn't work for me, but they didn't mean there is no such thing as truth, that wasn't re- people didn't, I think there was a, a spasm of that perhaps, yeah. Yeah. but it quickly subsided to be replaced by more like yes, what we're, the preachy, what you call preachy what I'm calling yeah. you know, Protestant paganism it's like a, yeah. it's a it is dec- Declarative. It's it's assertive. It's morally confident and mm. grounded, and yes, in a sense of certainty and progress, and conviction, and ab- and actually, it's quite absolutist. And it's just interesting that you you quite often get this where the church will we will respond to a couple of fairly outlandish claims, even post-truth is a bit like that. So, oh, of course, everyone's going post-truth. Think they aren't really. What they're ah. saying is. They're moving past the trust of institutions. Perhaps the the respected arbiters in a society are changing from legacy media to whatever or from politics. So that's clearly happening. But the idea that people say, no, we don't believe anything's true, you just have to look at the yard sign again, or even anyone who would resonate with any of the statements in the yard sign. And the reaction you'd get if you stood even in my hairdresser and said, I don't believe in one of those claims. It's a very, you realize this is not a relativist culture at all. And so although at the heart of Western culture at the moment, there is still a post-truth problem, Mm. which is we are affirming Christian things based on premises that don't support them at all because they're materialist in nature. Nevertheless, the, the, the tenor of our culture is still one that, believe certain things are absolutely are true and you must live by them and if you don't you will you are a heretic you and language like yeah. that might even be used yeah um yeah. that you do yeah. need to repent you do need to be awakened and all these sorts of it's right. it's very right. religious language as many have pointed out yeah. and i think it shows yeah relativism to the extent it happened at all it was a very short-lived phenomenon and yes. we are really dealing with a much more strident and morally certain worldview yes but those certainties have shifted and we'll, we'll get into this in in future episodes i think in in that what the certainties were in luke chapter 10 and the good samaritan the certainties were oh well there's leviticus and there's what yeah, priests and levites yeah. ought to do and that was the certainty and then there's this weird compassion thing as this supernatural yes. grace that happens now what's interesting is nobody believes in the, in the levitical thing anymore yeah. <laughs> we are, but we're all very certain that if you walk on by yeah. you're a monster yes. right and so what have become the certainties are all the things that are not provable by by nature like yeah. compassion has become a certainty how did that happen the the idea that there's progress to history has mm. become a certainty well, well like yeah. what what test tube did you did you see that in what what laboratory conditions sort of yes. you know gave, gave, gave you that all the things we've now become certain of are graces that are echoes of the Christian revolution, whereas what we're not certain about is nature, nature, yeah. biology, and all, all the rest yeah. of it. So, Nature and grace have switched places. Nature and grace have switched places, but we're, we're equally certain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just certain of the nature thing. Um, yeah. 
all wine, no wine skins. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's yeah. Us. And we were, we were both, I just, it was such a good story, but I thought it was points so well made. Maybe, I mean, we're going to finish soon, but, um, but that we were uh, in a meeting just last week where somebody was making the point. I thought it was such a powerful illustration. Said, so when a Christian is being hit over the head with the stick of tolerance and diversity and inclusion, they can, while carrying under the blows, at least say to the person hitting them, wait a second, that's my stick. Um, because the, yeah. because the, the stick itself, the things with which Christianity is being confronted are themselves things that come, as you say, from grace, not from nature. And that is that may or may not stop the person hitting you with them. No, it probably no, doesn't. No. But actually there can be something reassuring to understanding that's the cultural dynamic in play here. And and often people do come to a place of realizing there is a, a even if all that happens is the person concedes, there is a disconnect between my my metaphysical what I claim I believe about nature and the values I claim to hold, even if all I do, I, don't, I might say, I don't care, but I've often said to people, even if people get to the point of seeing there is an inconsistency there, mm. that is progress. That is, yes. that's an achievement because it's just taking a brick out of a wall. It's, it's yes. destabilizing yes. The, the convenient resolution that people feel like they have of Christian fruit without Christian roots. Right. And being able to say, these two things don't go together as well as you think they do. And that is itself worth doing. Right. And we will press into some of the tactics that we can use in one-to-one and perhaps in preaching and that sort of thing in future episodes. Brilliant. Um, Thank you very much, Andrew. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do be sharing it on social media. Perhaps give us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice, and that would really help us to get seen. But uh, Andrew Wilson, thank you so much. Thank you, Glenn. And we'll see you again soon.